Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Bob Van Leerhoven. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Aha, you are. <laughs> the, well, I think it's now the 11th or 12th who says Bob Van Leerhoven, <laughs> which <laughs> I find extremely funny. <laughs> because, yeah, How do you pronounce it right? Well, we Flemish, I do admit that we have funny names, but it's Bob Van Leerhoven. Bob Van Leerhoven. Oh, wow, wow. Is that bad? From the first time, excellent. Excellent. I'll try to remember that. <laughs> Which will not be so easy, I suppose. <laughs> I might get lucky. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so, um, Bob, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Well, um, I am a 65, dramatic sniffing in my voice now. I'm a 65-year-old uh, Belgian-Flemish uh, novelist. Um, and I've been a full-time novelist for some uh, arithmetics, arithmetics, uh, 32 years now, which oh, is very short in re- retrospect, you know, in hindsight, it seems so short. And mm. um, from I, I've been mostly a novelist, but from 1990 to 2003, I've been a, a freelance, you could, you could say, a travel writer. So I chose my own destinations and the pieces I wrote about those travels were very personal and, and literary. So it's, it's, it's not journalism. It's, a, it was a mixture of journalism, new journalism and, um, personal literature. Because I've mostly visited regions in, in conflict, uh, a lot of uh, civil wars, and those visits have made a, a very lasting impression on me. And they even have influenced the later books I wrote. And now that all is done and I'm leading a very, very quiet life here in, um, uh, a rural region of Flanders, accompanied by my four horses and two dogs. Sometimes that period, you know, seems like a a, a dream, uh, as if it was someone else who, who did all those things and who um, traveled around the world. While now I'm more and more becoming a recluse. Life. As, as it has presented to me, has uh, given me directions I wouldn't have surmised in the beginning that I would take those directions. It has yeah. been all fate and coincidence, it seems. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, uh, all the stuff you've done. I've, um, I, I did look a fair bit about that stuff. I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of blown away, honestly. Like, I've been super excited for this call for a while now. <laughs> oh, you make me blush. We Flemish are very shy people, you know. We only hide it as well as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, your experiences with uh, Srebrenica. Oh, wait, uh, how did you pronounce it again? Well... The, the, the subjects say they said Srebrenica. With a, Srebrenica. Yes, yes, yes. Quite, quite right. It, it, it resembles a bit the Italian way of uh, pronouncing that word. And uh, Srebrenica, it was a uh, a conclave. You, you you use that word in English. Yes, yes. A conclave, yes, of. Mm-hmm. Um, Muslim people in the 90s in um, Serbian territory, and it was surrounded by the troops of General Mladic. It was yeah. in the um, Bosnian war, war, you know. The Bosnian war lasted about five years, roughly from 1990 to 1995, and I visited a few times. Yeah, you know, I, I yes? think... Um, Leave it there for the intro, and, and then um, 
we'll come back like when we actually start the first section we'll uh, let you just go ahead and talk about as much as you want is that okay okay no problem awesome just lead the way yeah no problem like that was a good that was a good introduction well i was i was about ready to just let you go for it (laughs) which probably finished this bit (laughs) um but yeah so and we'll do that then the second second half we'll let you talk a bit about your book uh, hiroshima Okay. Uh, which is also bait, which that had a lot of influence from real events as well, didn't it? Well, it's it, not easy, you know, uh, for a, a writer from a small language community like uh, Flanders. Uh, Flanders has five million people to venture in the vast English reading uh, community, you know. They don't have any contacts. Uh, our uh, publishing houses here are small and don't have the clout to push uh, translations. So um, I have published uh, four books in English up till now, two novels and two uh, short story collections. And it's because, and this is not what I'm saying, but what other people, editors and uh, literary agents and such are saying, is because they are a little bit of, a little bit different from um, the, the the normal work in the mystery genre uh, that you're seeing. What I write yes. is for a a, a uh, crossover between literature and uh, the mystery genre. So those are not the pure thrillers you read uh, with this weather with this kind of weather at the waterside. They yeah. ask a bit more uh, attention and, um, and 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 willingness to step into a complex story of the reader. Yes, was, okay. It was the way that I wanted to write them. They looked really interesting. I'm planning on picking them up at like end of near future if I can. I think that's everything for the intro. Uh, just for our listeners, um, sorry about the last episode. Uh, sorry, it was a bit late. I had a bit of an editing disaster, <laughs> um, but it's out now. So it's all done. So don't need to worry about it anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yeah, so I guess, and you'll be leading most of this episode. So we'll cut to music here. Yeah. Then we'll come back with um, a section on Sabrina. Okay. How, how, how was that again? Kebenitsa. <laughs> it must be def- difficult for a, a um, an English speaking person. Uh, the the accents are, and the, the way you pronounce the vowels is, is, a lot different than in uh, English. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. It. I'll try to remember though. <laughs> I, I think that uh, everyone in the English community will understand you. Yes. Well. Um, okay. So we'll cut the music here, and then we'll come back. Be right back. And we are back. So, Bob, do you want to tell us about uh, Srebrenica? Strebeni- Is that ah, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Srebrenica. Okay. I, I know it's very difficult for people uh, who speak English. But, um, you know, Srebrenica was one of the most um, traumatizing, I should say, um, events in, in all of my life. I had heard of that small Bosnian-Serbian uh, conclave uh, in, in surrounded by enemy troops and between parentheses uh, protected by a Dutch bat. Dutch bat was the uh, Dutch uh, mission of the uh, NATO uh, troops uh, during the last year of the Bosnian-Serbian war. Yes. Um, try to, I know it's it's hard, and after all these years, because what I'm telling you now, it happened in 1995, July 1995, um, mm-hmm. try to picture a, um, a lovely, village of about 5,000 inhabitants before the war, but around 50,000 now, so 
filled to the brim with all the consequences of it, with refugees and surrounded by enemy troops, mm. um, try to picture the everyday life over there. And the stories I heard when I was in uh, Bosnian-Serbian territory, because you couldn't get into Srebrenica, it was totally cut off from the rest of the world by the Bosnian troops of General Mladic. But stories slowly, slowly, slowly spread uh, around the, the, the Bosnian-Serbian uh, country, uh, spread by the rare people who were allowed now and then to go in and to take care of the most stringent humanitarian needs like Doctors Without Frontiers and the Red Cross and the stories they were spreading afterwards when they had left the conclave they were well they were spine freezing you know and um, I was thinking at that time uh, in the 90s in Europe mm -hmm. There were stories about mass execution, executions, mass murders. There were stories about uh, people losing their minds continually in the conclave itself because uh, Srebrenica was not meant to harbor 50, around 50,000 people. It was mm. just a small rural village. And uh, I was searching for ways to enter the uh, conclave uh, under the cloak of uh, Doctors Without Frontiers with whom I had worked before when the troops of General Mladic suddenly invaded the, um, the conclave and invaded uh, Srebrenica without uh, prior warning and without any resistance of Dutch bat. So the the, um, the Dutch um, NATO contingency that was supposed to protect the inhabitants of Srebrenica. A very very um, soon, NATO reacted with um, air strikes uh, from their jets. It was the first time in five years of that very bloody civil war, very harsh war, that the NATO directly intervened and they did it with airstrikes. And stories spread about mass murders again, but this time on a very higher scale um, happened in uh, Srebrenica and uh, refugees were swarming into the country and it was uh, you know bosnia is a very uh, rough rich uh, is a very rough country um, hillside country yeah, okay yeah very very um, hard to to travel through uh, on on foot and what i did was um, finding a way to reach tuzla and tuzla was the nearest city to Sebernitsa, also, okay. also uh, surrounded by uh, Serbian troops, but with a humanitarian aid corridor. And um, under the cloak of uh, Doctors Without Frontiers, I was able to enter uh, Tuzla at that time, knowing that the refugees from Srebrenica would try to reach that city because it was the the, the nearest uh, conglomeration to uh, the, the to to Srebrenica. And yes, yes. I was when I was finally in Tuzla, which was a sometimes um, a heart-stopping adventure in itself. But when I finally reached the city, the first um, refugees from uh, Srebrenica. Uh, were uh, coming into town, and I can tell you, this was, this were images of the 
the German uh, concentration camps, uh, Dachau uh, and the like, all over again, because the refugees that came into Tuzla, they were, and I do not um, exaggerate, they were like walking skeletons, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, many years of hardship had reduced them to, well, to um, creatures with whom you couldn't feel anything else than, than pity. Very, very uh, skin uh, at the end of their uh, physical powers. Many of them very traumatized uh, because not only mass murders had taken place, but also uh, mass, um, how do you call that in English, when a, a woman is violated? Uh, rapes. Hey, rapes, yes, that was yes. the word I was searching for. And rape is a very serious uh, thing in uh, each society, but in a Muslim society, it's even more uh, surrounded by... Um, um, a, a lot of uh, social consequences. So I receive, I asked and received the help from the general practitioner of Srebrenica who had fled together with the others uh, to Tesla to uh, be my uh, interpreter. Now it's me turning to you asking if <laughs> I pronounce it right there. Eh? Doing well. A translator, a translator. He acted as the um, translator between me uh, and uh, the people who wanted to talk about what had happened in Se Sebenica. Um, okay. Without him, I couldn't have done it because they... They didn't really trust outsiders, you know, after all yeah. those years, having lived so closely together, they were afraid of outsiders. But with his help, uh, I could gain their confidence, uh, their, um, not confidence, but their trust. And what I heard, you know, even after all those years, almost 15 years later, um, uh, I, I feel goosebumps on my arms when I'm talking about that. Uh, I yeah. heard about, um, and, and my, f I had to, I have to admit, my first reaction each time was, isn't it possible that they are exaggerating, lying maybe, in order to, um, be able to, um, come into Europe, uh, which was their goal, of course. Because the, the, the stories they told me, they were so gruesome, I can assure you. Yeah. But at the same time, I admit that I was ashamed that I was wondering if they were lying or not. Because at the same time, the emotions I could see on their faces, in their uh, physical outlines, in their body talk, their body language. Uh, yeah. Those emotions were so shattering, so uh, convincing that if they had been uh, the work of an actor, those actors would have been world famous. Uh, it, it's even after all those years, there is a small residue of doubt about the severity of what they told me. Not that they told me outright lies, but the things they told me, the, 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 the things that happened were so gruesome that automatically one gets in, into a sort of defense mode and thinks, whoa, 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 this is too much. This cannot be like shattering uh, young born uh, babies, uh, taking them by their heels and, and uh, using them as a bludgeon and uh, shattering their heads against the wall, things like that. Uh, rapes of um, uh, girls of two, three years old. And again, again, such stories in a Muslim society. It, it, was, yeah. it was nearly unbelievable. 
And then uh, my contact, his name keeps escaping me, the name of the, um, the doctor that helped me translate and, and uh, contact, Elias Pilas. I, I, I just read it now in my own book. It's a shame. But slowly, after about half 10 days, Elias Pilaf himself yeah. began to tell me stories about abortions he had to, he had to do uh, under his um, patients because living in such a, a, a crowded uh, surrounding, living day and night with the, the threat of shootings and, and uh, uh, exterminations takes such a, 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 a psychic toll on people that even in families, uh, uh, all things uh, like uh, fathers raping their daughters uh, were happening. And that a medical doctor, uh, Elias Pilaf, that time, after 10 to 12 days that he uh, had listened to me, uh, had listened uh, together with me to the stories of uh, the inhabitants of uh, Srebrenica, began to tell me gruesome stories about things he himself had had to do that was really earth-shattering. My stay in Tuzla uh, was a stay of high tension from morning until night because the um, air raids of the um, NATO troops were um, becoming more and more frequent. And in other wars, I had been um, witness of uh, shootings with uh, rockets and 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 um, heavy artillery, but I can tell you, uh, bombing from heavy bombs on uh, the uh, troops of the uh, uh, Serbians around Tuzla, uh, bombings is another ballpark. I mean, it, a detonation of those heavy uh, bombs, it turns your entrails into water, I can assure you. Uh, when it's close. And by the end of one week, the bombings, they went on from day to night. But in spite of the fright, fear they inspired, I feared more the things I heard uh, from uh, Dr. Pilaf and from the inhabitants of Srebrenica. Because what was painted before my very eyes was such a bleak picture of the human condition, such a desperate image of what we are and what we can do to each other in certain circumstances, that I had a, a severe depression after that. Wow, there's a... <laughs> wow. I'm not quite sure what to say. <laughs> um, I was ashamed, you know. I was, I was so ashamed. Here I was, taking notes, listening to these people, turning their soul upside down. And I did it because it would earn me money, because it was mm. my job. But at the same time, I was presented such a bleak picture of humanity that at times I thought, if I had had to live in such circumstances, I would have committed suicide, which, by the way, according to Dr. Pilaf, many had done so during the past years. Yeah. And even I, who only had to listen to their stories and had to take note and knowing that I would go back to Belgium and to my I'm a life that they couldn't even imagine of a life of luxury in their eyes. Even knowing all that, I was getting so depressed uh, at hearing their stories from day on, day on. Um, and sometimes I thought, is it still 
doable. It's still doable to live in a world like this. Yeah. And that feeling has remained me, uh, remained with me uh, a long, long time and still pops up now and then because, you know, I stopped in 2003 uh, with being a travel writer. But you know how it is. I still read messages from, let's say, Syria uh, at at this moment. I still follow those circumstances, even though I know I can't take it anymore. And still I'm reading about what's happening there now. And it is just a replay from what happened in Srebrenica. What happened in so many countries uh, I visited, it goes on and on and on. And there is no sign of things getting better in in that niche of the human experience. On the contrary, I should say, I've been to Gaza, uh, Gaza uh, two times. And when I read yeah. um, during the second Indifada in the end of the 90s, and what I read about Gaza at the moment is even a bit, a little bit worse than it was when I was there. So okay. we don't seem to learn from all these atrocities and these horrors. And this makes me an old man who is getting more and more um, tired of it every day. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there are a lot of them going on at the moment. I, I have been. I've also been following the Syria and Gaza and all that stuff, and it's it's hard to read. Never mind, uh, like he- hearing my personal experiences, like like you're telling me now, it's uh, it's intense. <laughs> yes, but but I I've I've paid a toll for that. Yes, but but I was there for each time when I visited uh, a region in war or in conflict. Uh, I was there two weeks, three weeks at the most. Yeah. So when I'm touched uh, in this way that I've been, what uh, is the result for people who are living there for years and years and years? We can't understand their mindsets anymore. I've talked to people in um, in, uh, regions of war and conflict, and I was was thinking, am I talking to an alien? And they must have been thinking the same thing of me. Our world was so so very apart, that unbelievable, that um, no, it's not unbelievable. It becomes believable that conflicts steeped in years of hatred and fear that they go on and on and on an energy of their own yeah like i think the most unbelievable part for me is just like like how easy it is to forget on when you're this side when you're like in countries that don't have it it's it, it, like it, it's very easy to just miss entirely and it's yes but and people are living like it every day I don't think you can you can lose that anymore. No. I, I, even I, who only touched on the surface these things, I can't forget anymore. And I no. um, I have nightmares. Still have some nightmares now and then, even after all those years. And I, I was just yes. a war tourist. I used mm-hmm. this. Um, I used this these words. Deliberately, in one of uh, the pieces I wrote, I am a war tourist. I am doing this to earn my living bread. Uh, I, 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 I am a, vam- a vampire, uh, sucking the blood from other people, their, their fear, their anger, their hatred, to translate it into passionately written pieces. In order to be read, but in order for me to be paid, yeah. as a very, very, um, what do you call it, degrading feeling or something. At yes. the same time, I couldn't stop for years 
because mm-hmm. I, I had become addicted, you know. You want to, to understand. You want to understand those deepest, um, the deepest convictions and, and, and emotions that can be such a, a horrible um, aspect in the, the human psyche. You, you, you cannot understand, but you want and you want and you want to understand. And each time I went for another trip, I said to myself, afterwards I would understand more. But afterwards I understood less, less and less and less. Until finally, after 13 years, I couldn't go on anymore. I had to stop. Mm. I was sure uh, that it would turn out and end very badly if I had come on after I was 50, um, 52 almost at that time. And I was a nervous wreck. I had to stop. Yeah, it's... (laughs) I, I can I can't even imagine like what out like what would be like to even just travel there. Like I've got no experiences of being in these kind of places, and it's, like and it's it's hard I, to imagine. Like yes, at but, all. but since but, a few years, there is for me now a sort of mm-hmm. how do how do you call it in English? A sort of um, distortion? No, not a distortion, but a defense, a self defense mechanism. When I look back now at that period in my life, it is as if someone else did it. Yes. I'm not sure the word, but I know what you mean. But it's sort of, 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 of shadow of me that, that has taken over all that pain and all that anguish and, and that's standing a a little bit beside me now. Very strange, yeah. but I, I do think it's a self-defense mechanism, a psychic uh, self-defense mechanism. And yes, again, I, I understand what you mean. And again, I only, I still think every day what has happened to some people, young people, uh, teenagers. I talked um, all these uh, times in, in those countries because I was very, very curious to know how they looked at life and they must ha- they must be uh, for 30 40 now and and i would like to know how do they if they have survived of course how do they look back upon that period and how did it afflict the way that they are being grown ups now i would like to know that but at the same time I must admit, maybe it's better that I don't know it. Yeah. For my own peace of mind, because if I am hurt and wounded like I am of what I did, their fate must be much, much, much worse. Worse. Yeah. Well, at, at least, like, because you did it, I've learned a lot more, and I think a lot more people will learn more about these kind of things. Um, you are telling their stories. Yes, but each time that I came back and wrote about it over here, there was also a sense of uselessness, you know, in, 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 in our world of mass media and during the last decade of the social media, um, uh, writing seems so futile, you know. Uh, it seems so, so small in comparison with the fast and, and, and hip social media and mass media. But at the yeah. same time, I knew that the pieces that I wrote, if someone wants to read them, they will know more because the social media and the, 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 the mass media are all around us. We think we're good informed about the world. Well, I can tell you, we are not. We become yeah. more superficial. We have become more superficial with mass media and social media than we think. We know more facts, but we, we know less about the emotions around, uh, behind the facts about yeah. the, 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 
the um, the details. I've, I found like when making this podcast, I, I've found that more and more, like the deeper you get into it and more people you talk to, you realize you don't understand it all. True, true. And uh, so it's a, a kind of solace, kind of yeah. solace to me that although I'm, I'm at the at the one hand ashamed of what I did being a war tourist at the other hand I truly truly did my best to render that pain and that fear of those people to render it as alive and as palpable as possible yes um and I think on that we'll um we'll have to call it for the half time because you said you have to go at 12 right Yes, that's true. So we'll, we'll cut it here and uh, go to second, the second section. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have a short outro before we, before we call it. So that sound okay? That's okay because it's not, uh, uh punctly at uh, 12. I have to leave. I have, uh, some leeway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's because I could just sit here listening to you all day otherwise. <laughs> I must admit, uh, revives things in me which I rather <laughs> yes. hadn't but but at the same time I must be grateful that I still have the uh, your opportunity to talk about it a little bit yes um, so cut to music here and then be right back with um, Hiroshima And we are back. So, um, Bob, uh, you were going to tell us more about your book. Yeah. Well, uh, Return to Hiroshima is, I'm, I'm repeating myself, I'm afraid, is also no worries. A, a novel to which I look with ambivalent feelings, you know. I mm-hmm. put two years of research and uh, a lot of emotion and a lot of a lot of work into this novel that is set in 1995, city of Hiroshima, uh, but with roots, with the plot roots in, of course, because Hiroshima is an iconic city, uh, with roots in uh, the Second World War and the detonation of uh, Little Boy as the first yes. nuclear bomb that was dropped on a city was called. You know, um, after my stint as a um, travel writer, I noticed that the books I was writing were changing and were getting more noir with each, each book that I was publishing. And um, Return to Hiroshima is uh, maybe sadly enough one of the noirest uh, books I have ever written because the whole story, the whole plot is steeped into that one situation where the history of mankind changed forever. And those are big mm-hmm. words. I know, I know. But I do think not many people realize how at the moment 1945, that little boy exploded above Hiroshima, our whole culture, the whole human culture changed. Because from that on, then on, we had the power to destroy our whole planet and ourselves. And it's easily said, oh yes, we have the, um, the power to destroy our own planet and ourselves. Easily said, but when you come to think about it, when you come to ponder the consequences of that turning point in history, it's a, a, a whole lot of, a, a whole lot different image that you're getting in your mind. Mm. So what I try to do is to render that Truly horrendous moment of the first moments after the detonation of the bomb into a thrilling story with a mystery twist to it. 
My aim was to create a chilling atmosphere where readers are really immersed into um, a sense of doom that hangs above uh, not only the characters, but also above humanity as a whole. If we continue being the beings that we are, it sounds heavy. Uh, when I tell it like this, uh, comprised, uh, uh, made compact um, in, uh, let's say, a few minutes, uh, it's, it seems a, um, a, a chilling book. And it is, but there are also um, uh, moments where I can show humanity, strangely enough, in moments you often don't expect can um, surpass, surpass itself and can show great courage, great compassion. We are such a very, very strange species, you know. I have... Yeah not only written scenes in Return to Hiroshima uh, about the sudden flares of courage, the sudden flares of compassion, uh, but I also have seen and noticed them in others during my years as a war writer. Moments that especially women, when it comes to their children, uh, show a courage that man cannot even dream to reach off. I remember many images in my head where in war circumstances men were strutting down streets of uh, dilapidated cities or villages that they had destroyed and they were strutting down the streets as uh, those uh, iconic um, Western er heroes, so with their arms open wide, with their chest strut up, and with an air of, we are the great victors. But I never have seen them performing feats of courage like women have uh, done when I was a witness to that. I will give you one small um, example. Okay. In uh, Sarajevo, another city in during the Bosnian War where uh, that was surrounded by Bosnian troops. I, how do you call it in English? I joined the line of women, uniquely women, who uh, lined up every day or hours sometimes to um, uh, the water distributing points. Because in the whole of city, there was no um, waterworks anymore. Eh? Uh, you had to have jerrycans and you had to mm -hmm. stand in line to get water at, at certain points. Okay. Those were called the deadly lines because snipers uh, chose those lines to uh, um, to um, create terror in yeah. uh, the city. So when you were lining up, you were standing there in the middle of the street, heading to the water distribution point. Only women were lining up because they had the courage to do so, and because they needed water for their children and for cooking. Uh, yeah. And I had a translator, Shordan with me, a Bosnian, and a, while waiting, and while I was almost peeing my pants out of fear that a sniper would have a shot at us, they told me stories. Each of those women had a story to tell about a friend, a relative that had been shot during the lineups for those water distribution. Uh, lines. Yeah. And I was lucky that day. Nothing happened. And they said there are more days that nothing happened. But they were lining up for years now. And I was there. They had been lining up for years. There were daily lines 
Sometimes something happened and sometimes it didn't. But you never knew when a sniper would strike. Ah, that is a feat of courage in life. That is a courage that man cannot attain. I never, during my stay in Sarajevo or elsewhere, saw a man do things like that. Uh, I tried to convey those feats of courage in another context of in return to Hiro Hiroshima, where in the aftermath of the explosion, it were women who tried to save badly burned people from underneath the rubble and who went to great lengths, even with the sacrifice of their own lives, to save their children. So, Return to Hiroshima was a shocking novel to write, and it's a shocking novel to read. It's not a novel you can read uh, lying at, at a swimming pool. It's not a novel that is mm. destined to be popular. I don't have anything against popular uh, literature. But this is something else. This was a book I had to write, like so many others, and that afterwards I didn't like to open anymore. Because even for me, writer who has written the same words on that paper, uh, even after all those years, because uh, the Dutch version of uh, Return to Hiroshima, Terugkeer naar Hiroshima, was published in 2010 in uh, Belgium and 2011 in Holland. Um, so, after all these years, when I open the book, it still has some impact on me. And you could go for, oh, well, there he goes again. He is emotional again. But that's just the way I've been working the last, let's say, decade. Investing all I have and all I feel in those books. Yes. And sadly enough, although Return to Hiroshima is set in 1995, the story, context, the book itself, still very relevant because when we look at uh, the world politics at the moment, we cannot put our heads in the sand and say that the threat of a new world war, which will be nuclear, is bigger than, let's say, 30 years ago. And that if we don't change our view on life, and if we don't have a means to dominate our own ego, because ego plays a very big role in the disaster which is called humanity. Ego plays a very big role in it. If we can't master our ego between this and let's say 15 to 20 years, we will be wiped out. I'm very, very positive about that. And that's what Return to Hiroshima is about. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a lot to think about, actually. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. Yeah. When I'm I, I I feel, you know, I'm 65. Yes. I I I I wouldn't love more than to not to talk about this and make some jokes. I love jokes. I'm a very funny man. <clears throat> yes, you are. <laughs> and um, I'm living here with my four darlings, my beauties, four horses, and my two dogs. Mm -hmm. All which have been uh, rescued from um, um, shelters and and um, mistreated uh, horses, and they learn. I learn so much about how to get along with each other, and they are so very wise. So many ways, much wiser people are. Uh, I've learned so much since I started this sanctuary for um, horses and uh, dogs, which is small, and I would like to make it a ten times bigger. 
I would like to yeah. invite them all, you know, all those mistreated, uh, mistreated horses and dogs. But of course, financially, have to uh, roll with the dice, of course. Um, yes. But still, um, my wife is a icky, I, I don't know if I pronounce it correctly in English, she's an icky therapist. So yeah, I think I, I, think I read it before. Equitherapist or, or uh, uh, hippotherapist? I think it's um, equitherapist. Yeah, maybe equitherapist. He has a lot of people come here, adults, children alike, with all kinds of psychic or physical problems, and you should you should see how how they they are getting positive results. Heart, heart, truly heart-rendering positive results when they are in the neighborhood of our animals and cuddle with them and do some small exercises, but mostly be with them, be with them and open themselves up to the mindful signals those beings send out without so many of us seeing it. The horses are being viewed as being uh, mopeds on four feet, you know, and are treated yeah. like that. But when you treat them like the messengers between worlds, they were used to be called in in um, in um, uh, pagan societies. Uh, when they are treated with love and respect, you see a wisdom and a fine-tuned emotional palate you didn't expect from those animals who turn into themselves when they are only used uh, for sports or for uh, leisure. But when you open up to them and when you communicate with them, your hurt and anger and all those other emotions, they are like mirrors, you know? It's it's mm. wondrous, I assure you. It's wondrous. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I read your um, I read your short story that you sent me up by email ah, yes. and I put, I put on Twitter and stuff. Um, and it was really good. I, sometimes I publish a conversation with uh, Archimeda, one of our Ara- Arabian purebreds. A very very she's so intelligent, which they are all, but each one has its own character has its own abilities, and has its own way of dealing with things. And I can mm. tell you stories on and on and on with much more pleasure than talking about my books or my past life, <laughs> uh, about my, my, my animals, whom, I repeat it, I love so dearly. Yes. Like. I use whom um, deliberately, not that or which. <laughs> yes. For me, they are personalities. Of course. Right. You, anyone can see how close you are. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a kind of incredible one to say. Right. I'm so blessed that um, the woman that I met when I was 52, at the end, 51, 51, 52, uh, at the end of my um, uh, traveling days, I was so blessed to have met her uh, and she was an therapist. We didn't have the horses at the house at that moment. We are we all built that later. But she was working in a institute uh, as an therapist. and I was afraid of horses. You know, uh, like males, like many males, I'm under okay. the impression of physical power, and I have such big physical power. You know, yeah, uh, horses can be little if they want to, but it's the last thing they want. Um, even when they are mistreated and mistreated and mistreated again, eventually mm. they will lash out, eventually, but it can take a decade or longer. In each case, I was afraid of horses. But Caroline, that's the name of my partner, guided me uh, gently into their realm and into their thoughts and into their feelings. and. It has been a, a, a last gift of the gods to the rather strange life I have been living 
all those things I've been able to do, being being the son of a working class family. I I, I don't have a uh, what do you call it a regular sh- sh- schooling. Okay, uh, yeah. I, I didn't a- attend any high school or university. Uh, it was out of our range for us, you know. Yes. Uh, and even in spite of that, I have been able to do so many things. And I was going to say, somehow you seem to know more than like a lot of people. <laughs> like... uh, in some in some uh, regions, I maybe I will know a bit more, but in others, I will be lagging behind enormously. But still, on the whole, I've been given the chance to lead a fascinating life. And even now, yes. when I feel that old age is creeping up on me with all the consequences um, that it has, um, I still feel blessed. I'm suffering from a bacterial arthritis now for, for six years, almost six years, with flares up and flare downs. Um, and uh, according to the um, uh, Tropical Institute in Antwerp, it's a very famous institution for uh, tropical diseases. Mm-hmm. I, I um, have caught the uh, bacteria that causes this uh, very harmful and very painful disease um, in the valleys of Sudan. And I was there so many years ago when there was a civil war between South and North uh, Sudan. So my style of life has cost me a lot. This uh, bacterial arthritis isn't curable. It's, it can only be suppressed by some heavy drugs, which have a lot of by, um, side effects. Mm. Uh, but still, 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 and it's getting worse slowly during the years. Although I keep on training with weights and I keep on walking the dogs and I keep on, um, uh, I keep on lifting hay balls and things like that. Pain or yeah. no pain. I still want to do that until I truly cannot do it anymore. But in spite of all that, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have been able to let a fascinating life like this. And nothing, nothing has pre- had prepared me for this. Yeah, there's a pre, there's a actually, uh, there's been incredible talks actually. Um, like, you I, I could sit here and listen to you all day, I think. <laughs> Yes, but then I think yeah. I will be having some troubles with my yeah. tongue because it's as dry as the desert and I have been in some deserts, you know, <laughs> and it was very dry. <laughs> of course. But, um, yeah, I think uh, on that we'll cut to music, I think, and then come back for a little outro. Then we can call it there. And you should be able to get off for your, what, for your thing at 12-ish. Yes, yes, I still have a few minutes to go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, we'll cut to music here and then we'll be right back. And we are back. So, um, right, that, that was. Strabanisha, all right. But when I say Ekshay, <laughs> yes, I think you're beginning to laugh too. You know, <laughs> I, you got my name right every time. So, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, does it have a, a certain meaning? Because it's uh, for us, it's a very unusual forename. Actually, it's uh, a Gujarati name. Actually, it's, it's Gujarati. It's like from this part of India, uh, ah, yeah, the yeah, Gujarat yeah. region. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Very, very, very uh, colourful name it is. Yes. Uh, so um, I come from Indian family and mum's um, from Kenya and dad's from Uganda. <laughs> so a bit all over the place. Right. Which, um, uh, which is the future, actually. If um, we, humanity, uh, wants to survive, we, in my eyes, the people 
with uh, different uh, cultural backgrounds, different ethnical backgrounds. Um, and so the, how do you call it in English? People with so-called mingled blood, the more mingled, the yes. better in my eyes. <laughs> and I, sadly enough, am just a farmer's boy from, from Flanders. <laughs> oh man, yes, and I, I have a very large family <laughs> from all over the place. Yes, yes. Um, do you have any last comments before we uh, round up? I truly want to thank you for listening to my ramblings because I know when I start off, it's hard for me to stop. I've I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't do it otherwise. I have to be passionate about things or otherwise I just don't do them. So that's my character. So in spite of being Flemish, maybe I have some Italian blood or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so first, thank you for listening to me. Thanks for broadcasting um, your podcast. Um, and, you know, at the moment, I'm at a turning point. I can, I can feel the need to write one more book. Um, but it must be different, very different yes. from the others. I would like to, re to write a sort of literary a fairy tale, if you... I, I don't find the, the exact word in English for it. It's, of course, not a a fairy tale like for children, but a, a fairy tale for, for, for grown-ups. Like um, an epic, maybe, uh, like... Uh, um, or le like similar to legends. Yes, similar to, similar to legends of parables. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, uh I would definitely look forward to it. <laughs> where the positive, I've concentrated on the dark side of humanity uh, with my last books. And mm -hmm. I really think it was, and it is necessary. We have, we need a mirror now and then that shows us what's going on in us. Sometimes without we even consciously uh, knowing about it. But for my last book, I would like, I truly would like to write something about the positive as aspects of humanity. I would write yes. it in a, a lyrical, in a poetic, lyrical style. I'm very fond of stylists, you know. I, I may be just a mystery writer, but I'm a very great admirer of the great 19th centuries, 19th century um, French and Russian, and of course also English stylists. So I would yes. like to find a poetic, lyrical, and and colorful style for it. My last book that ends with some funny scenes in it. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Um, uh, well, if you. Yeah, well, if you manage to do it, let let me know by by email or something. I'd definitely be interested. I must admit that I am wary, that I'm not sure, that I'm not self confident, and I have published thirty eight books uh, <laughs> traditionally, mind you, traditionally. Uh, that I'm I'm a bit afraid that I that it is not within my specter, within my spectrum of specter. Uh, of of possibilities, I'm yes. not sure. So I'm feeling like a debutante <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at my age. <laughs> yes, well, I'll definitely read it if, like if it does come out. Ah, ah, already one one exactly <laughs> one reader. That's the way to start. Exactly, we perfect. Okay. Um. Next up, uh, do you have anything you want to plug here? Like, you want to point out any particular books people want to check out or anything no, like that? After all that I talk about, I wish all whoever is listening to this podcast a fruitful and a loving and, and happy life because in the end, that's all that counts. Excellent. I think 
yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. So I'll just quickly wrap up. Okay. And um, yeah, then we'll call it there. And we should be done by pretty much exactly on the hour. Uh Aha! Ah, yes, I can see it. Yes, yes, 11.55. All right, so let's let's try it. Okay. I don't have to rush. Oh, yeah. So on that, um, my shouts this week, uh, I'm just going to leave it at the Murderly Network page, which is murder.ly, and you can check out a bunch of other podcasts there. It was a pleasure talking to you. I hope... I, I didn't ramble on too much and that you don't... Oh, no, it was brilliant. So it, was, it was really, really appreciated. <laughs> on, on this side, it's also very appreciated that you took the the, uh, the time to, to talk with me. Um, so let me just wrap up that social media stuff real quick, um, just so I can get out there, and then we'll cut, and then we'll leave it there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we did. So it's Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and rocks, Twitter and Instagram at bloody rocks um email at botrpodcast at gmail.com and that's the easiest way to get in touch with me and we also have a patreon account um patreon.com slash blood the rocks if you want to support the show there um and i think that's everything so um thank you all for joining me thank you for uh, having me actually and to all my listeners thank you for listening um don't forget to tell your friends and have a great week. I'll see you soon. The same to you. See you soon too. Bye bye.